Welcome. Welcome, Asha Walker. Hi. I'm so happy you're here. I'm so happy to be here. Uh, welcome to the Culture Road podcast. We've been waiting for you to be here. I'm such a special day. This is a delightful experience for us. It's amazing. I'm so happy to be here. It's such a vibe. It's really what you've built is just so beautiful. I'm just thrilled to be part of it. Well, what we're building, right? Yeah. I think we're all building. Yeah. Um, and so one of the things that I want to do is just to kind of give us some context. The Culture Road is really about the um, the idea that we are all transforming and that culture is transforming. And it's transforming in all sorts of ways, right? The, the way that we connect to each other in the world, the way that we are expressing our identities, the way that the whole world has this kind of call for equity yes. and really looking for ways to create more equity in our systems and our structures, the way that we're communicating with each other, all of it is transforming and it's all cultural. Mm -hmm. And so Culture Road is really just a place for us to say, if our culture is transforming, then we're all on this big collective journey. And as we're on this collective journey, let's find places where our paths can come together and when we can celebrate each other and when we can support each other and also where we can give some recognition for the distinctive experiences and lived um, uh, experiences and voices that we all bring. That is so beautiful. With, well, it, it, it is beautiful. <laughs> and with that, we want you to help contribute to that. I'm honored. So, honored. With that contribution. So the assumption is that you, you know, for the number of years that you've been on this planet and all the amazing work that you've been doing, you have a pretty amazing journey. Would you share with us how you came to be Asha Walker, founder and CEO of Health in the Hood, who you are and where you come from? What's your journey? Woo! Well, it's taken me 39 years to figure that out, and I'm still figuring it out every day. Uh, but thank you so much for having me and giving me a chance to be part of this beautiful culture. I'm just so, so honored and thrilled. Uh, but I am I'm Asha Walker. I am the CEO and founder of Health in the Hood. Um, it's a not-for-profit in South Florida. We build urban farms and alleviate food insecurity. Um, but I am a local girl. I am born and raised in the county of Dade. I have watched my city change and evolve over the years. So I know this city. It's in my in my roots and my DNA. Um, I am a theater kid turned nonprofit professional. It, it still serves me like a theater kid. Like you had to learn how to think on your feet and improv. And so still use a lot of those skills, but parlayed that into a career in the not-for-profit world in South Florida, and then parlayed that into my own not-for-profit. And now 10 years later, we are still thriving and growing beautiful urban farms across South Florida and feeding families. And then I parlayed that into um, a holistic health coaching program. So now I'm also building out a wellness platform that wow. uh, is a little more expansive and uh, covers sort of all the areas of holistic health. So really creating a all-encompassing for everyone health platform. Love it. I absolutely love it. Tell me what at what point it's it's so interesting the stuff that you're doing and it's you know it's so amazing that here we are at this point in time and all of a sudden um wellness and and eating food that comes from the the ground right below our feet, like local food is all of a sudden so in style. We are on trend right now. <laughs> right. But what happened? Like at what yeah. point did we lose our yeah. ability or our right to like eat healthy? What yeah. happened? How did we get to this place? I think it was a couple of, of factors. I think it didn't just happen overnight, but in some ways it did. It's uh, when things started to really be industrialized and made really convenient, right? Like we grew our own food not that many decades ago. Victory yep. Gardens were, we were encouraged by the government to grow our own food. And now things have shifted. Money makes a big difference. Um, your zip code makes a big difference to, to yep. indicate what you have access to. 
Well, really, I think it was I think it was the convenience that made the biggest shift that separated us from, oh, this food takes a little while to go out of the ground, but this food's sitting right here and I can pop it in the microwave and it'll yep. be ready in 90 seconds and not asking the questions about what's actually in it and how it's serving us. Um, and it's taken us all this time to sort of wake up. It was one of the silver linings of the pandemic, I say, that, yep. you know, that was really, I think, the first time people started to actually click into, well, wait, if my immune system is stronger, then I, maybe I won't get this okay. virus and maybe I'll be healthier. And that, I think, really kicked off a lot of, of what we're seeing now, which is this sort of awakening. And now people are like, oh, growing your own food. That's really neat. I'm like, yeah, we've been doing this for a decade. Welcome to the party. Welcome. Welcome. Yeah. yeah. I love it. In your in your TED Talk, which is phenomenal, thank by the you. way, I encourage everyone to watch oh, it. Thank it's you so, so good. Much. I love how you just came out on stage and like handed out food to people and like, welcome, eat. How do we make this different? I got to make the intro a little different. That's the theater kid part. You did a good job. It worked. And people were like standing there in line. I loved it. Yeah. But you you said that your um, your zip code has more to do with your health um, and, and then your genetic code. Yeah. That was, it's pretty, um, it, I know that because of the work that I do yeah. over time. Yeah. And I also know because I do so much work in places where there's significant kind of food poverty and just poverty, generally speaking, yeah. but to to be able to have such a poignant kind of fact that yeah. you can state, tell us a little bit about yeah. like, uh, about that. Like it's a potent statement. That's why I, yeah. I, I repeat it. I've been saying it for almost 10 years now that, that it really gives you a visceral picture of what food insecurity looks like, what a food desert is. Whenever yep. I do a talk, I say, who in the room knows what a food desert is? And yep. like, most people are like, cricket, cricket. But when you really piece it together and talk about what kind of lines are literally drawn in the concrete, in the sand, when you're talking about a neighborhood that has access to every kind of leafy green you could want and yep. a neighborhood just, you know, in Miami with gentrification, we're just, you know, yep. Wynwood is butted right up to Overtown. People don't know when they're sitting at Cush Hamburger Bar that they are just a stone's throw away from people who can't, one, uh, financially afford to be in Wynwood paying those prices or um, just transportation-wise can't leave their communities. Yeah. So there's a lot of different barriers that, that make that the reality, but it truly is a visceral way to understand that where you live completely dictates the food that you have access to. Okay, let me ask another question. This is, this is, um, this is complicated. It's a complicated topic. Because I absolutely am a person who grew up eating, um, you know, I was on WIC when mm -hmm. I grew up, was on, we were on food stamps. There mm -hmm. were times when I remember going to the cashier with some really high quality something or another because it was a special occasion mm -hmm. and then busting out my food stamps and be turned away. Mm. I wasn't allowed to use them. Like, that's too fancy. Mm. If you're using food stamps, you shouldn't be getting food that's that fancy. Yeah. So we stuck to those inside of the grocery store aisles, yeah. right? Where all of the yeah. canned goods are and all of the stuff with its highly processed lives. Yeah. And I grew up eating that way for most of my life and also generationally, yeah. right? I was one of the kids that microwaves were all the rage and yeah. everything was fast and easy. My mother worked three jobs. So growing up in that experience, somehow or another, I'm not exactly sure how it happened, but at some point in my life, I really got into healthy eating and I really got very conscientious about food and about exercise. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people don't make that shift. Yeah. Like I think about even my parents or my aunts and uncles who just refuse yeah. to shift their relationship. Generational with food. too. Yeah. Yeah. Like what how do we how do we do how do we do that shift? Yeah. yeah. I'll tell you what makes a big difference. Growing greens literally in people's backyards. Mm -hmm. So the very first um, donor I sat down with was uh, someone I'd worked with for years from my other not-for-profit work, and I won't name him. He's a wonderful person. But he said, this isn't going to work. He was like, you can write a grant, but it's this is people are not going to. People want their Doritos. They want their yeah. Takis. They're not going to be interested in eating kale. And I was like, 
I think you're wrong. I'm like, I'm being guided. This is, you're, you're not right. And I'm going to try it anyway. <laughs> it. <laughs> I'm like, so my guides are telling me to go. So I'm going to go. And when I tell you, no one has ever said, I don't want that collard green, or I'm not interested in that cherry tomato. When you see food growing, it is such a instant innate connection to where our food comes from, to being connected to that we need to eat, that it's you just innately know that that is what you should be having in your body. So it's just this really simple, beautiful solution that, you know, we've added an education component to it, but really the farms are the, t- the teaching tools. They are really how we get people to get back to their roots. And so even though people do have these generational patterns of processed food and, and foods that are you know, directly tied into preventable diseases. When you grow some greens out in people's backyard, yeah, it's like, yeah. oh, yeah, that works. Yeah, yeah. I could do that. Yeah. Uh-huh. That also is good for generational. I'm thinking about like my father and his generation. Like they grew up actually growing their food. Yeah. At some point they shifted. Yeah. But they absolutely, I think if it was growing in their yard, that would for kind sure. of reorient. Yeah. For I sure. Love that. And it's just like re- Teaching, re, re shifting attitudes, you know, and it's like just getting us literally back to our roots, yeah. breaking that cycle of like, well, it doesn't have to be coming out of a box. It's like, this serves me so much better. And then as soon as you eat it and you feel so much better and you're eating living foods, yes. then it's like the shift is done. It's, yeah. it's a pretty quick shift that happens. So this is, this is not the same as what you do exactly, but how do we, what is the deal with animals? How does that come into play when we think about food? Like when I you mean animal about, versus plant? Or, yeah, yeah, like I think it's, it's, a, it's a real big conversation that I'm so in, uh, you know, engaged in. I, yeah. I, I've read and seen all of the documentaries about being mm-hmm. vegan for many years. I was mm-hmm. vegetarian during mm-hmm. pandemic. I was vegan. Mm-hmm. Um, now I, you know, I, I try to eat really healthy organic food, but I also am, I, I also am not sure because there's so many differences of opinion about yeah, right. animal, not on, animal. On everything. Yeah, was, exactly. I read the other day, eat stewed apples, don't eat stewed apples. Like <laughs> one's good for you, good, it's not good for you, good. It makes you blow, you know. So it's it's really, we're so bio-individual and it's figuring out what works best for you. Um, and I have made myself really break away from like putting myself into a label or a bracket yeah. of like, am I vegan, am I vegetarian? I'm a qualitarian. Like, yeah, whatever yeah. I eat, I'm going to eat the highest quality of. If I eat it a lot or drink it a lot, it's going to be something that I really make sure I'm investing time and research and making sure it's the best quality of what I'm having. Um, but I think there's an argument for both sides. Like some people say eating too many animals is terrible for the planet, which it is. But then there's also like if you eat too much nut milk and have too many almonds, that's also yep. terrible for the environment too. Yep. So, you know, I think it's all about balance. It's finding homeostasis and balance in the body and balance in your life externally with what you're putting in. So I would say find the highest quality of whatever you're going to eat and listen to your body and listen to what makes you feel good. Like I did vegan for a while. I was kind of bloated and hungry most of the time. Yeah. And now <laughs> I have chicken and fish and meat occasionally and, and still love tofu and tempeh, but I just mix it up. I just keep it yeah. kind of diverse. Yeah. I, I think I've landed in that same place, but I love the the pushback against labels, but qualitarian, I can handle that. Right? That I, works, I, right? Heard, I heard that somewhere. I was like, oh, that is I'm totally stealing that. Yeah, that's a good one. That's right? a good one. Yeah. So how do we how do we do qualitarian living for those people who subscribe to this idea on a budget? Yeah. Like how do you if you were gonna go to the store with one hundred dollars, yeah, what would you what would you spend it on? Yeah. Well now no, I don't get you that far. hundred dollars doesn't get you that far. I just ordered groceries this year. I was like, oh my God. And it's just insane. I know. It's I'm like, really scary. But that's why it's also it's almost a blessing in disguise because we're going to get back to our roots. Maybe people start growing some microgreens yeah. on their kitchen counter when they see how expensive they are at the grocery store and you yep. can grow them for free. Um, so I think the, the biggest thing I always tell people, I just did a reel about seven tips of how to eat healthy on a budget. It's it's planning. You know, it takes a, just a tiny bit of creativity yep. and planning, you know, cook 
once, eat twice, sometimes yep. three times, four times. I'll try to stretch it as long as I can. Meal prepping goes a long way. It doesn't have to be like a bodybuilder packaging it perfectly. Just like having a bunch of colorful fruits and vegetables roasted up, steamed up in your fridge, ready to yep. go into the air fryer or the microwave, whether you use microwave or not. Um, but for me, that that really is how I'm able to make things last longer. And then with groceries being so expensive, it's almost like you you have to eat it. So you feel much more, I think, devoted to the cause. And you're not going to let things spoil in your fridge and you spend money on them. But if you plan a little bit, have a couple staple things that you make, have a few staple dishes, that really, I think, is 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 yep. the key. Yep. And then staying on the periphery of the grocery store because on the inside is usually more expensive and more toxic. Amen. I do this. It's I crazy. actually talk to people yeah. about this. People yeah. are like, well, why don't you go up and down every aisle? And I'm like, Because that's the stuff that's going to kill you. Ain't nothing good happening right, nothing in the grocery store. <laughs> not good. Even in Whole Foods, it's not really that great. Mm -mm, mm -mm. So staying on the periphery, or if you're going to venture into the middle, knowing what you're getting into and like making sure you're intentional about your choices. Totally. Like yeah. I know I'm going for this specific thing and then yeah. I'm back on the periphery. Yeah. And I spend yeah. a lot of money on the periphery. So, uh, yeah, But that's where it should be spent. As yeah. long as we freeze it, juice it. My freezer always has plenty of frozen vegetables. That's another one. Frozen veggies. Big one. Yes. Like people, we spend all this money on fresh vegetables, which is great. But frozen vegetables, I have my fridge stocked all the time with some frozen broccoli, frozen carrots. You throw those in the air fryer. It's like, yes, delicious. Yes. So that okay. I love. So if I don't have the ability to grow something, for yeah. example, I don't have, you know, a plot of land or a community for, okay. what can I grow in my house? Is yeah. there something that I can grow on my balcony or in my kitchen window or totally. something to get started? Totally. So I always suggest people start with microgreens because they are incredibly nutrient dense. They grow in like six days. So like the benefit of six like- Six days? Yes. You throw some seeds uh -huh. in some soil and you literally have something you can eat in literally a week. Yeah. You can let them go a little bit longer. You can do two, two weeks, but really by that time they're turning into like little plants at that point. But when you want to get them is when they're just shooting up out of your soil or whatever your medium that you're growing is. Right. We're actually working on some microgreen growing kits at Health in the Hood, so stay tuned Love there. It. Yeah, I always buy that at the farmer's market, yeah. but I didn't realize I could just go home Oh my God, they're so this. easy. I can okay. send you the, the uh, materials that we use. They're on Amazon. You just get a little growing container, a little growing medium, some water, some done. seeds, broccoli sprouts, and you're done. And you've got the healthiest sprouts right on your kitchen counter. And then mm. we have also have a, a grow kit that's kind of cool. We've developed over the last couple of years at Health in the Hood that's kind of transferable. So you can start it on your kitchen counter. It's a mason jar. And then it's got a little basket. So once you grow your starter, your plant, you can either leave it there or you can put it into uh, like a, a, a planter on your balcony. And then if it grows outside of that, it'll grow even more of them. You can put it in a garden in your backyard. So you can really kind of transfer them into their growth phases. Love it. Oh my goodness. This is so making me think back to like my great grandmother. Like my mother, like literally I'm having a vision right now of my great grandmother who had this little yard and she was growing all these vegetables yeah. and I'd go in and she'd have all these cans yeah. and the mason jars yeah. and beets. Boy, did she have beets Ooh. everywhere. And it's like, it's it, but the food was amazing. Yeah. It was always so fresh. Yeah. She was she lived to be like a hundred years old. There you go. And I'm pretty sure that there was a relationship yeah. there, and also yeah. the activity, like yeah. the, this, just pouring love into something that's mm -hmm. growing. I also think is really mm -hmm. healthy from a mental health and a physical health point of view, as yeah. well as like what you're eating. Yeah. I love this. I'm plant, so excited. Plants are high vibrational. So you spend yeah. time around plants. It literally raises the frequency. I know I can talk to you about this. You can't talk mm. about frequency with everybody. No, but no, no. You I got like it. it. Yeah. <laughs> but it raises the frequency of, of a neighborhood too. So when we go in and we convert a vacant mm. lot that was, you know, just kind of a breeding ground for mattresses and trash and crime. And we don't look at it as a deficit. We go in and we're like, that is a community asset. And we convert it into this beautiful garden, have vibrant vegetables growing. And it just changes the whole literal feel and vibration of, of that community. How does that work? Tell me practically, how does that work? If you yeah. go in and you see a plot of land, 
I'm thinking about people who are watching the podcast who say, you know what? I don't live in Miami and I can't visit Health in the Hood specifically, but mm -hmm. I have a plot of land that's near my house or in my neighborhood. And yeah. I'd love to be able to imagine some of this. How do you do that? You just find a plot and then see about coming up with people who are willing to kind of be cooperatively responsible for it? Or do you need funding? Or yeah, well, a little, a little bit of all those. Yes, funding for sure. Like people are like, well, how do you maintain the farms? I'm like, I write grants and grant reports and go to dinner with my donors all day long. Like that's why I am always, always in fundraising mode. Um, and I have an amazing board that helps us fundraise, but it takes a little bit of all those components. Yeah. So for us, we are community engagement is in the DNA of our program. So we go in and we make sure we've got all the key players. We've got the schools, the municipalities, the community leaders, the churches, the pastors, the after-school programs, yes. the teachers, the principals. So all of those are our most important players. Then we get the corporations or the foundations or the donors to help us fund it. Um, but all of our land is donated, which is a unique part of our model. That's amazing. So it's it's a burden and a blessing because, you know, the city could say, you've been growing here for 10 years and now we're going to sell the land. You got to move. Hasn't happened yet. Knock on wood. But yes. it's a risk that we take. But having that line item be, you know, zero dollars to use land that is not being used for anything productive is kind of where we've hit our sweet spot. So anybody that wanted to start a site, which we are actually moving into new communities, going into Chicago. Oh, yes. That's our next community. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. I I'm mean, so excited to help with that connection. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. I love it. I love it. And so we're doing just that now, building out those connections. And, you know, we've got a great partner there and just really figuring out what it looks like and uh. where it's going to be. Um, but those are the main components that you need to have. You need to have your funding. You got to have your land. You got to have your community players. And from there, it's really the logistics. It's learning how to build farm, which is really, you know, that's what Google's for. We have an amazing yeah. garden director now. But for the first 10 years, I'm not a farmer in my DNA, but it's really not that complicated. We overcomplicate things. You get some mm. good soil, you get a planter, you put some stuff on the ground, you're going to yield some stuff you know i mean you can do even better parts, yeah, yeah, steps, yeah. <laughs> in the last two years we've had an amazing garden director so now we have even more beautiful crops but it's really you know it, it's it's not as complicated as as i think we make it and so it's just a matter of pulling those pieces together and then if anybody's looking for advice call us we always got stuff that we're posting and sharing and, and looking to really sort of franchise out this model where we stay we're not for profit of course but looking to expand into new communities i'm thrilled i'm so excited that that's something that's a possibility yeah. for people to just yeah. call you you and you say yes let's let's yeah. help you figure this out yeah so we have I an application really process exciting okay yeah so anybody who wants to like start a farm in, in south florida we've got a pretty long wait list but we keep a running tally of schools and churches and community members that want us to become an um and develop a farm for them and as soon as we get a grant for it then we awesome. we, we chip them off as we get funding awesome amazing well, I know that you have another volunteer who's just signing up right now. I am excited to Yay! come. Anything that I can do. I'm, I was like talking to my son about it and my partner. I'm like, oh my God, I'm about to have this amazing podcast. I can't tell you how excited I am. I want to still I'll oh, go yes. volunteer yes. because I agree. The high vibration is yeah. real. It's yeah. real. You, you leave dirty like literally dirty and thrilled and happy and fulfilled. It's like the best shower you ever had. And you just feel so, so full. Can't wait to be yeah. there with yeah, you. Yeah, come anytime. We've got a lot of different opportunities to volunteer. I said with you, you're going to be fundraising. I'll be in the dirt. I know. I, I used to be in the dirt a lot more. And now I'm just behind my desk most days. I just watch on Instagram. All my team is all out. They're just killing it. I'm like, you guys go. I'll just keep writing this grant. I'll be out there with the mosquito bites. <laughs> yeah. tell, tell us a success story. Like I can only imagine... Um, as a person who also has been like spending my life doing a lot of work in communities, um, just the amount of fulfillment, like I feel so filled up when I'm mm. sitting side by side with people who mm -hmm. are and, and having a positive impact on people's lives and on my own mm -hmm. because I'm doing meaningful work. Tell us that success story. What's one story that either was something about, you know, somebody's health being significantly impacted because the, the way that they changed their eating habits or 
um, a community coming together or something that's just really powerful. All of those things happen kind of on a daily basis in our farms. It's really kind of overwhelmingly profound how much of a difference giving people access to fresh food makes. Um, and we've been doing this for 10 years. So the longevity is there. We've seen families that, you know, they are transient communities. So people are not always there for the full run, but you definitely have people that have been visiting for years on end who have been battling cancers and different illnesses that attribute their wellness to being able to access fresh food right. or any of their, their healthy improvements to being able to access fresh food. Um, a lot of those stories we capture at our food drive, which was not what we started 10 years ago. We were an urban farming organization, but when the pandemic hit, we mobilized some of our incredible donors came together and we're like, how can we get healthy food to people as quickly as possible? I never forget. I was sitting on my exercise ball in my living room, writing out this program and figuring out who we needed to have at the table, how to get food from these local food banks. And uh, now, three years later, we're still operating a drive-through pantry that serves about 200 families a week. We put together healthy grocery boxes. Mm-hmm. It's another great volunteer opportunity if you wanted yeah, to come out yeah. and do that. It's every Tuesday and every Thursday at 9:30. We feed. 150 to 200 families, and they have become completely reliant on us. We keep saying, okay, we got to figure out if we can do this, sustain this for another year. But we're like, we can't take this resource away. It's across the street from a senior center. So we've gotten grocery carts donated from Amazon, and folks just come over, bring their grocery carts, and we're able to send them home with healthy food. So it's just, it's an endless cycle of beautiful stories of people who, anytime you connect someone to healthy food, wellness resources, it's just this this gorgeous, gorgeous story that we're able to see and and share over and over. Mm. And love it. Yeah. How about the volunteers, the kind of people who come and volunteer? Are they people who live in the actual community? It's both. It, it's it's both. We have everybody. We've got incredible corporate groups, high school students, oh, nice. individuals that want to come out. And then certainly when we are building a farm, like these huge truckloads of soil are getting delivered and there's all these people and we're knocking <laughs> on doors saying, we're going to grow some kale. You want some collards? What are you interested? Is okra on your list? You know, so yeah, people get really interested. And in, when we tell people, tell you know, give us your kids for half an hour. We're going to do a teaching activity on how to grow green beans. You're like, fantastic. Goodbye. So it's just like this perfect after school activity for kids to have because we have this education component woven in as well. So not only do we grow the food, we also teach nutrition, fitness and urban farming workshops. So at health fairs and in the community and in our gardens. So yeah, I mean, people definitely get excited and involved pretty, pretty immediately. Love it. You know, one of the things that I um, you know, and I, I've, I've talked to so many people all the time about the topic of equity yeah. and how, you know, the whole world, especially over the last year has really, last couple of years has come together, just demanding equity. And people yeah. are like, well, how is equity different from, and I'm like, no, it's, it's us, you know, everybody in t- across the entire world saying we want something different yeah. than what exists and what has exists. Yes. And we we need disruption in the systems yeah. and the way that we're kind of living fast and taking what comes and 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 living kind of miserable lives. Mm-hmm. People are unhealthy, they're unhappy, mm-hmm. the suicide and they don't rates know why. are going. They don't know why. They're not addressing the root cause. They don't we just put band-aids on everything yep. and just here's a pill. Like yep. how's your sleep? How's your stress? Yep. What are you eating? Yeah. And sometimes it's just so foundational. So I sit and I have conversations and I'm like, yes, but what's the root cause? Not the symptom. What's the root cause? What's yeah. the root? And if we keep going down far enough, mm. food is always mm-hmm. the place that we get to, mm-hmm. right? And we, it, it could be job, it could be family, it could be social media, but we always get down to mm-hmm. the fundamental and the fundamental mm-hmm. is food. Healthcare, mm-hmm. even below healthcare mm-hmm. is food. It's first. It's, it's the food. First. It's the first thing. And it's the thing we need the most of. Like every single day yeah. we need and food. Everybody needs it. And every single that's person that equitable needs it. Piece. That's right. 
where it gets into like, oh, well, you need these foods to help support your gut. So your gut can make the hormones, make your body work optimally. So your organs can do what they need to do. So your blood can pump the way it needs to pump. But if you're eating dead food or what I call food, which is not really food that's in the middle of the grocery <laughs> store, it's all this process, ultra processed stuff that you really can't even call food. Of course, you're going to feel bad. Yeah. Of course, you're going to be inflamed. Of course, you're going to get chronic illness and diseases. Yeah. And that's, and, and that's not the only way. Of course, there are, there are things that are unavoidable and people who have illnesses that are not associated with what they eat. But but there is a massive population that is that is suffering that I think doesn't need to be. Absolutely. And also for people who are dealing with illness to feed themselves with bad food, food yeah. Yeah. <laughs> is absolutely not helping. Yeah. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and then constantly all the medication. And so just, yeah. just changing that relationship. So the yeah. idea of being able to actually um, help the world create more equity yeah. by addressing how it is that we approach our relationship with food mm-hmm. and then creating experiences that actually start to change culture, yeah. where culture lives, like people's yeah. hands in the dirt doing the thing doesn't is get, really, really powerful. It doesn't get more real than that. It doesn't yeah. get more real. Yeah. Food justice and social justice, they're one and the same. Absolutely. We've just sort of separated them, siloed them out, but they're they're the same thing. Yeah, it's right there. Yeah. I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, if you were going to, I have a couple of rapid fire questions. Okay. I can't help. We always do this. Okay. So I'm going to ask you. So one of them is I'm imagining, especially as a founder and a CEO, um, that you have tremendous uh, responsibility as a leader. And a lot of the people that I work with specifically and that we work with in my firm, Dieta Jones and Associates, are people who have executive leadership roles there um, or managers, people who have responsibility for kind of all of the stuff that you just said, for kind of helping people get through kind of the, 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 the wellness parts of their lives, but in the Mm -hmm. context of work. And so what I'd like to do is ask you a leadership question. Can you give us an example of a time when you had a particularly complicated kind of leadership challenge, right? (sighs) Something came to you from like maybe your employees (laughs) and you had to say, you had to make a tough call um, but you just said, you know what, I need to, I need to let my values anchor us yeah. on how it is that you are going to make a decision about moving it, moving through it. Yeah. What was one of your kind of really tough leadership challenges? Nothing that's confidential, yeah. of no, course. No, no, no. Yeah. But a leadership challenge, and then how it is that you decided to move through it? Yeah. What is it that you called upon? I think the most challenging thing that I've come across leading any organization, whether it's not for profit or, or the other, is is the human element. Yeah. Like it's really, really challenging and it's out of your control. Like humans are humans and they're going to have issues and they're going to have personalities. And I think it was the, probably the only thing I didn't account for when I started <laughs> this. I was like, I'm just going to – because. I could just roll through. I can cry when I get home. Like, yep. But there's definitely that human element. One of our values is human first as an organization. So we really balance that. And so we're really, really um, intentional about how we care for our team and our family environment that we create. But yeah, the, the human element is definitely one that that takes extra time. And it's a balance between making sure you're staying productive and still nurturing employees yep. and nurturing your team and nurturing that that relationship. Um and I have probably another entire podcast of examples of where that has so, been it's frustrating. So complicated. It's very complicated. <laughs> you know, turnover is one piece. The really the beautiful thing about for us is that people who work with us are so dedicated. And so the issues that we have are not because they aren't into the cause. You know, it's people have life and there's just things and you can get wrapped up. And so it's supporting that. But for the most part, we just have incredibly dedicated people that come to our organizations. We've been very lucky in that way. But even dedicated people have issues. So yeah, definitely dealing with, with with people stuff is definitely probably the most challenging part. Yeah. And funding. No and, and, you know, every time that payroll goes through, you're like, Ugh. 
my God, I got to get another grant. <laughs> and grants are so hard. I mean, the tricky part about grants is that they often require like matching funds or they require like all these, or they require the tremendous amount of administration. A lot so of administration. It's a lot. It's a lot. But we can't do it without them. So we're just beyond grateful for our founders and funders and foundations that support our work. But but yeah, it's 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 a it's a full time full time gig. But I've got an amazing team now. Executive team is growing, so I'm not focused. I'm getting more and more out of the day to day. Yeah, I don't yeah. really get to be in the dirt as much anymore. But I'm able to really focus on our strategic planning, our ten year plan, our fundraising, all the pieces that my brain has been like trying to have the only thing to focus on. And now we're really able to to move in that direction and really grow. That's a really amazing and important point, especially for people who are entrepreneurs, to be able to do what you're talking about, you're able to do right now, yeah. is to be able to kind of get out of the business, like to work, stop working in the business mm -hmm. and focus on working mm -hmm. on the business. And it's, I think, one of the biggest challenges it's really for most hard. entrepreneurs. Yeah, because like, who's going to do all this stuff and who has the same amount of passion and other people are going to have like real lives and you have to know that that's going to happen, yeah. but this business ain't going to run itself, yeah. right? And so yeah. to be able yeah. to actually give yourself the yeah. space to get out of the business so that you can help grow the business totally. is a real challenge. Well, I'm going to use that one, get out of the business to grow the business. It's really hard. Yeah, it's, it's really hard. Mm -hmm. I'm, I have an incredible team, our executive leadership. I mean, it's everybody amazing. are just, so that's one thing I don't have to worry about. I can really like hone in on something and use all my critical thinking skills and like they handle all the stuff. Yep. Yeah. So that's it. That's really it. Good. So that for it's, all it's the people. entrepreneurs out there, get, get good an amazing people. senior team. Yeah. <laughs> get people who are better than, than, than you at what you're not good at. Yep. Absolutely. And then yeah. you go out there and make the magic happen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not really great at HR. My COO lives yeah. and breathes it and there is not a mileage cent that is not accounted for. And I'm like, go girl, I'm going to write this grant. <laughs> I mean, not a cent. She's like, you drove an extra quarter of a mile. I want to make sure you don't make it. I mean, it's just like, how we got to be. That's how you got to be. Yeah. You need somebody. Yeah. So you need someone like mileage. that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. If you don't. If you don't. Um, even if you do, if yeah. you're the CEO, yeah. you have other stuff to do. Exactly. Okay. So one more question. Yeah. Um, this is a question we've been asking all our guests. And so I'm just going to ask you to think about this. Um, it's a soundtrack question. Oh. If you were going to name the soundtrack that you think kind of represents where you are right now in your life, the song that's just really, you know, it's really vibing with mm -hmm. right now. What is it? Oh, this is so hokey. Um, I started thinking a lot about like being more intentional about the music that I'm consuming. Yeah. And like, I love a good hype up song and I definitely have my hype up music, but I have been listening to like these really beautiful mantras ah. in the form of music to just like keep my frequency and my nervous system sort of regulated and there's one I'm going to mess it up it's it's own namo mm. and um it's just this beautiful mantra that reminds us about the kindness that's in all and it just has a beautiful message I mean you just listen to it over and over there's another group called the beautiful chorus cannot recommend them enough they're just mm. these gorgeous that one's in English so really you can connect to it even more but these beautiful mantras that just repeat in this gorgeous tone that um that's been my soundtrack right now. Yeah. I'd love it. Well, it's a great example of, I listen to mantras a lot. Uh -huh. I just, I absolutely love it. And um, I go on like meditation retreats and listen, but it's, it's like, how do you ingest things that are positive and healthy yeah. and it's kind yeah. of the same as food? Like it's about yeah. what we ingest. What you're consuming. It takes, it, it, it has such a, it has such a powerful impact yeah. on us and it could be positive or it could be negative. You got it. Right. And so to intentionally kind of pour in 
the things that yeah. are, you know, kind of positively yeah. affecting us, our yeah. nervous system and all of it. Yeah. I'm trying to get it. my husband to like, I'm like, honey, your nervous system, he's, I mean, he's just working so hard. And so I'm like, honey, your nervous system, we got to regulate you. You got to sit down for five minutes. It's so important to like keep that thing in balance and regulated. And imagine if everybody regulated their nervous systems, it'd be such a better world. Oh my God. I spend so much time talking about this with my clients. And I talked to my son about it. He's 15, but all, since his, since he was a little kid, he'd get all worked up yeah. and I'd say, and I'd describe to him how like um, the neurology works in our brains and yeah. our physiology and yeah. how it is when we get cortisol releases, yes. we, it activates our fight and flight tendencies. And I so was now like, he's got that woven and he's like, oh, I better calm down. He's like, so I'm like, babe, you're all cortisol up. And yeah. he's like, mommy, uh, mom, I'm about 15. You don't have to say that anymore. And I'm like, it's kind of what's happening. Yes. You're really on cortisol right now. Yes. 10. Yes. Um, but to get ourselves to a place where that cortisol is kind of regulated, yeah. it takes time. It takes it's, time. Not, it's not like it just snaps our fingers or we just have a cup of matcha and all of a sudden yeah. we're back to a better place. Yeah. So we actually have to build in yeah. important practices. Series of tools and practices to come back to. Yeah. Trying to get my husband to not have coffee first thing in the morning. That's a hard one. You got to eat before your coffee. Otherwise your cortisol is going through the roof. Oh, that's a good one. That's a hard one, but it's a good one. That's a good one. It's that's real, a takeaway It's a really me. important one though. That one's a, that's a big one. That's an easy way to wreck your hormones. Just starting with that cup of coffee before you have some place for it to land. Like it needs food to land. Oh, I'm going to have to really think about this one. This yeah. is like, this is a new one. Yeah. <laughs> I, I had to leave us with one. If we're talking about cortisol, that'd be my one cortisol foundational okay. tip. Okay. I'm going to really take that okay. one with me. I'm okay. taking everyone. I'm I'm still out to, I'm still out for deliberation on that <laughs> last one. I believe you. I just haven't, I'm not ready to put it into practice yet. That's fair. I'll take fair it. Enough. Totally fair. Ash, it has been delightful talking so to you. How do we learn more about you? So Go to your website. Yep. So you can go to healthinthehood.org if you want to learn more about Health in the Hood. If you want to hear more about nervous system regulation and cortisol, you can go to <laughs> ashawalkerwellness.com. Um, but both platforms are here to serve and to share wealth, uh, health and wellness with the world. We are so excited. And I definitely am going to be out there in the dirt with Yay. you and your colleagues Can't or at wait. least your colleagues. Yeah. I cannot wait to um, to contribute and to also consume and to start yeah. growing. I'm going to start yeah. growing. Yay. Um, and I also I think that this podcast has also left all of our listeners and our watchers with real takeaways, like things that we can actually incorporate into our day-to-day -day lives. And so thank you so much for leaving us with these important tips. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for creating this space. Oh, it's been a, such a gift. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Thank you.